Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Uh, today we have two scripture lessons from uh, the Gospel of John and then from the book of Romans. Uh, and you can hear some of the Trinitarian language in those scriptures as we read them. They're also printed there uh, in your order of worship or you may even follow along in your own Bible. Uh, the first one today comes from uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. I invite you to hear these words of scripture. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. From the Gospel according to John. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, we do give thanks today. We have uh, great thanksgiving in our hearts as we gather for worship, as we fellowship with one another, as we lift our voices in praise, as we offer our gifts and our resources in the offering, as we come now to these words of Scripture. Perhaps, God, these are texts that we are familiar with, texts we've heard before, Jesus speaking, Paul's teaching. And yet, God, we know that because it is Scripture, because it is inspired by your Spirit, that each time we read it and return to it, we hear again your word afresh and anew. So may it be so for us today. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, as we begin today, we are beginning to talk today about the Trinity. It's Trinity Sunday. I'll say a little bit more about that in the sermon. As you heard Chase talking to the children, it's sometimes kind of hard to explain the Trinity, what it means when we say the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I brought a video. I don't usually use videos in the sermon, but I found a really helpful video uh, that I thought would begin the sermon today. So I invite you to give attention to that. Here at Rockwell Automation's World Headquarters, research has been proceeding to develop a line of automation products that establishes new standards for quality, technological leadership, and operating excellence. With customer success as our primary focus, work has been proceeding on the crudely conceived idea of an instrument that would not only provide inverse reactive current for use in unilateral phase detractors, but would also be capable of automatically synchronizing cardinal gram meters. Such an instrument comprised of Dodge gears and bearings, Reliant electric motors, Allen Bradley controls, and all monitored by Rockwell software is Rockwell Automation's retroencabulator. Now basically, the only new principle involved is that instead of power being generated by the relative motion of conductors and fluxes, it's produced by the modial interaction of magneto-reluctance and capacitive directance. The original machine had a base plate of prefamulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The lineup consisted simply of six hydrocoptic marzal vanes, so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal lotus o deltoid type placed in panendermic semi-boloid slots of the stator. 
every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremie pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the gram meters. Moreover, whenever fluorescent score motion is required, it may also be employed in conjunction with a drawn reciprocation dingle arm to reduce sinusoidal deplenoration. The retroencabulator has now reached a high level of development, and it's being successfully used in the operation of Milford Trunnions. It's available soon wherever Rockwell Automation products are sold. All right, you got all that? You good? How many seconds were we into that before you realized it was a joke? Was it like 10, 15, 30? It gives you a little insight into my humor. I think that video is hilarious. Uh, here's how goofy I am. I've watched that like 10 times in the last two days because I think it's so funny every time. So there are a lot of ways in which we find ourselves sometimes uh, in a community, in a setting, in a meeting, in a group where we're kind of overwhelmed with that technical jargon, right? Uh, one place for me is the hospital. You know, I get to serve on the hospital board there, which is a great privilege and great honor. But almost every meeting I go to, I feel like I need one of those. I need like a, a hospital management vocabulary guide for dummies or something, right? Because it is just overwhelming, all the verbiage that they're using and the language that they're using in the medical field, the hospitals field, and the finance field. And it is really tough to sort all that out, right? Of course, at the same time, I understand that language is necessary, and they all know what it means, and they're pretty patient in explaining it to us. Uh, there are other ways in which we use insider language uh, here at the church. In fact, in the United Methodist Church, we have a lot of phrases and verbs and, and vocabulary that are unique to us, right? So we'll use phrases like DS or DCOM or BOM. All of those are things that make total sense to Chase and I, right? And they may make a little sense to you, but to an outsider, that sounds like a foreign language. UMM, UMW, discipline, conference, that's insider language that belongs to the United Methodist Church. Of course, it has meanings beyond that, but it certainly has particular meanings to us. Uh, sports, I'm a big sports fan, you all know that, and so every sport, every uh, game, athletics, they all have their own vocabulary, right? And so if you're going to get involved in a sport, if you're going to learn a sport, coach a sport, then you have to learn the phrases, DH, RBI, TD, offside, slugging percentage, on goal, these could go on and on, right? And so the sports that I know and I follow, I know that vocabulary really well, but the sports that I don't know or don't follow as well, uh, soccer and golf, I don't know as much about those, and so I'm a little, a little confused when people start talking about them. This week we're going to have Ozark Mission Project, and there'll be some vocabulary that we have to learn that goes with OMP. That's insider language. It's technical language that you have to know to be uh, successful, to be a participant in whatever we're doing. And so I offer that sort of image to begin with as we talk today about the Holy Trinity and what it means for us. A Trinity Sunday is this Sunday, particularly this Sunday following Pentecost. Last Sunday was Pentecost, and you were here last Sunday. That was a day of great celebration. Uh, we recognize Chase being ordained the previous week at annual conference, and then Chase led us uh, in confirmation and in baptism. And so we had a number of young believers confess, profess their faith, that they're now Christians on their own standing, not just according to their parents. And then we had some who were baptized as well. And so after Pentecost Sunday, we typically begin this long season, and you can just do the calendar in your mind. The next kind of special Sunday we have, the next special season we have, is not until like All Saints Sunday, uh, which is the first Sunday in November. And so we have this long season in the summer and in the fall where we have ordinary time, ordinary Sundays, ordinal days. Except for today, Trinity Sunday is the Sunday following Pentecost, and it's kind of a minor Sunday. Uh, some years we, we do talk about it, and some years we don't. And the reason that we sometimes do not is because we're afraid to. 
right? Uh, I can confess to you that pastors often look at the liturgical calendar and we look at Easter and we look at Pentecost and then we look at Trinity Sunday and we think, is there anything else I could possibly talk about, right, uh, other than Trinity Sunday, right? Is there anything else that I could preach on? And so even this week, I sort of had that thought in my head, like maybe this is a bad idea, you know, maybe we should go with something else. But at the same time, it's good to return to these fundamentals of our faith, even if the vocabulary is a little bit awkward, even if there's some technical language, some jargon that we have to that we have to learn. Um, it's worth doing that occasionally. We don't want to do that every Sunday, but it's worth thinking about these important concepts uh, and why they're so central to our faith. And we shouldn't be embarrassed to do so. So today, Trinity Sunday, what I want to do is kind of a three part sermon. Use the scripture to guide us a little bit. You may want to take some notes. It's going to be a little more technical than usual, not my typical sermon, uh, but it's worth at least one Sunday a year thinking a little bit about why the Trinity is important. So first point for today, uh, the Trinity that we talk about, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's really important that you remember and that you realize that it comes from Scripture, right? The language of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is language right out of the Bible, right out of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Uh, today we read these two passages, and they are just two examples of where Trinitarian language is being used. So in John 16, uh, this is a part of that long farewell discourse in John. Jesus is teaching. He's talking to his disciples about uh, what it will be like when he is gone. And so he's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been performing miracles. He knows that he's going to be put to death, and he's going to be resurrected. And he tells them that the Holy Spirit will come and will guide and will glorify, will teach, right? And so Jesus begins to put together here in John 16 a kind of formula for how the Trinity will work. So Jesus is with the disciples now. He's going to go away. The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will be near to the disciples, will be their comforter, their guide, their teacher from here on. Right? So Jesus is going, but the Holy Spirit is coming. And then the last thing that it says in that text from John 16 today is that Jesus says, the, the Father has shared all of this with me, and I share it with you. I share it with you. So there's kind of a, a formula, there's sort of an economy about the way that the Trinity is working here in Jesus' own words. Right? The Father has shared all of this with Jesus. Jesus is sharing all of this, this knowledge, this love, this way of life with his disciples. And the way that they will continue to know and to understand and to follow in Jesus' teaching will be through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So the Father is sharing, Jesus is revealing and sharing, giving his life over to them. And then the Holy Spirit will continue to be near to them from here on. Right? And so we recognize and affirm that language even now, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, the triune God. So when we use the language of Trinity, when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be bashful about that. We shouldn't be anxious or weird about that. We're using the very same language that Jesus himself used. Right? Jesus used it, and I think it's appropriate for us to use this as well. Okay, the other text that's in your... Uh, in your bulletin today is from Romans 5. Now, this is, of course, written by Paul. It's a Pauline text, the Apostle Paul. When we talk about Romans, we're talking about a book that was probably written uh, before the Gospels, right? Early text as the church was being formed, uh, certainly written before the Gospel of John, which was written much later. So you can think about Paul, an early leader in the church. Of course, he's a convert to Christianity in a very dramatic way. He goes on his, his journeys, his missionary journeys, starting new churches, and then writes these letters back to them. So when we're reading Romans or reading other Pauline texts, we're reading like very foundational uh, early church theology, right? And so there's no creed, there's no seminary, there's no teaching apparatus like we have today, but even Paul's own language that he uses there in Romans 5. Did you catch it, right? 
we now have peace with God the Father. God has made peace with us through Jesus Christ, through his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death and resurrection. And then he says, you know, there's going to be uh, suffering and there's going to be endurance and there's going to be character formed and there's going to be hope. And the reason that we know all that to be true is because God's love has been poured out into us by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, early Christian thinker, before there's any formal Christian theology, right? This is the, the earliest part, the earliest documents we have for the church. Paul says, this is the way God works, right? This is the way God works. Peace has been made with God the Father through Jesus Christ, and we will grow in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, there's a little bit of a formula there, kind of an economy of the, of the Trinity, right? God the Father through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And we find those, those words kind of consistently coming up in Scripture. Right? Now, the Trinitarian theology and the Trinitarian formulas that we develop later on, of course, were, were formalized by the church across its history. But the language itself is rooted in the Bible. And you should know that and you should feel comfortable with that. Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the way the New Testament talks about God. And that's the way we ought to talk about God as well. Is that okay? All right, the next thing that I want to say about the Trinity is if you kind of look across the chronology of the church, the history of the church, is that the Trinitarian language becomes confessional. Confessional. What do I mean by that? Well, if you think about the early church, right, it's, it's certainly a, a different culture and a different time, and we know that there were many uh, faith traditions, many religious influences, right? Pagan gods, even the faiths that are recorded in the Old Testament outside of the Jewish tradition, right? Even the stories like uh, worshiping the golden calf, right? Idolatry of, of pagan gods. And so we, we know, and it's been described in history books, that, that that first century world was just kind of an amalgamation of lots of tr faith traditions, lots of religious practices, lots of different gods to be worshipped, little g. And in fact, in some of the New Testament writing, in some of Paul's writing, there's kind of a sorting it out. Like, can you, can you keep your old gods? Can you worship some of the pagan gods? Can you worship some of the Greek gods and Roman gods and worship Jesus? Can you also follow Jesus? Can you have all that together at the same time? That's an important question. It was before the early church. And so the way that they decipher, the way that they explain, the way that they clarify uh, the sort of God that we worship is through this Trinitarian language, through this Trinitarian language. So you might hear, and you might even sometimes say yourself, and just kind of, a, well, we believe in God. You know, lots of people believe in God. Everyone believes in God. Other traditions believe in God, right? And maybe that's true in kind of a general sense. But we can be a lot more specific. We don't just believe in God, kind of in the abstract. We believe in this particular God. God the Father, God the Son revealed in Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Right? And when we say God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're being much more specific. Right? We don't just believe in God, like a God, the God. We believe in this God, this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God revealed in Scripture and the God that we've known in our own lives. This is the God that we believe in. And so it became the tradition of the church, just like we did last week here at baptisms and at confirmation. It became the tradition of the church that when you join the church, when you profess faith in the church, you do so according to the Trinity. Right? So when Chase was preparing the water for baptism, when we were blessing those young disciples, we used that Trinitarian formula, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Or when we use our creeds, which we sometimes do in here, not necessarily every Sunday, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, they always have that Trinitarian shape to it. What do we believe? We believe in God the Father, 
We believe in God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And saying that we believe those things is really what separates us from other faith traditions, from other faith expressions, not in an antagonistic way, not in an antagonistic way, but in a clarifying way, right? So sometimes people will say, well, isn't God awful? God is this sort of God. How could God let this happen? How could God do this or how could God do that? Oftentimes my response to that is, well, I don't believe in that God either, right? That God you're describing, I'm, I'm not sure who that God is. The God I believe in, the God we believe in is this God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and God the Holy Spirit. So using that Trinitarian language helps to clarify what it is we actually believe. We're not believing in an abstract God, a sort of indifferent God. We believe in this particular specific God. The next thing we say about the Trinitarian language is that it's doxological. So that's a good word for you today, doxological. Doxological just means it's worshipful. It's the language we use in worship. So here's how this works, right? If this is the God that we believe in, if this is the God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if this is the God that has saved us, right? Jesus Christ put to death, resurrected, the Holy Spirit poured out into us and among us and within us. If this is the God that has saved us, that has made our lives rich and beautiful and meaningful, that has given our lives hope, has given us the power of endurance in difficult times, if this is the God that we know and love, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then what is our response? Praise. Praise and thanksgiving. This is who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is how God saved us. There's no mystery about who God is or what God wants for us in this sense. God is good. God sent his Son for us. God is the Holy Spirit that's near to us. This is who God is. This is how God loves you. This is how God saves you, God three and one. And if that is true, then what should we do? We should, we should celebrate. We should sing praises. And so here are a couple of the classic sort of phrases that we use in worship, right? The doxology, the glory of poetry. Glory be to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever, world without end. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I hope you heard even this morning, you may not have been thinking about it, but even the songs that the band led us in this morning, they celebrate that Trinitarian language, giving thanks to the Father, celebrating the work of the Son, giving uh, praise to the Holy Spirit that's at work among us. So when you sing, when you pray, when your heart is stirred in the faith, you're not just thinking about God, sort of in the abstract. You're thinking about this God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's that particular God, it's that unique God that causes us to want to sing, that causes us to be happy, to be joyful, because God has revealed God's self in this way. Our hearts are made light and made hopeful. Trinitarian language is doxological. So, the takeaway point this morning, the key point for you, uh, is that when you uh, join a new group or a new organization, if you go to a new summer camp or you go to a new sport or you join a new committee, uh, there will probably be a season of learning a new vocabulary, right? If you work in a new career, if you change positions, you have to learn the language that they use at that office or that field or whatever the case may be. I want to suggest to you that, that becoming Christian is kind of like that as well. That becoming Christian is partly about learning to speak correctly, to use the right verbiage in respect to, with respect to who God is, right? 
And there's no need for us to be sort of apologetic about that, right? Just like in your career, you use the language that goes with that career. In our faith, in our faith tradition, we ought to use the right language, right? So who do we worship? No, we don't just worship God. We worship the triune God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because that is how God has revealed God's self. That is how God saves us, and that causes our hearts to sing. So I'll leave you with a little quote from about the year 450, right? If anyone will not confess the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one nature and substance, then they have one power and authority, and that there is a substantial trinity, one deity to be adored in three hypostases or person, let them be anathema. Is your spirit moved by that? (laughs) That sounds a little bit like that technical video I started with, right? But you get the idea. The final sentence is a little more straightforward. We believe this. There is one God, God the Father from whom all things come, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are, and one Holy Spirit in whom all things are. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for you. On this Trinity Sunday, we have been called to center our hearts and minds on your very identity, your very character. Yes, God, we know this requires a bit of abstract thought, a bit of complex vocabulary. And yet, God, it makes our hearts sing to know again, to be reminded again of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you have saved us in this way, that you continue to be near to us, guiding us in our own lives of faith. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.